Good morning, everyone. I have one question before we get started. Dr. Polk, is it true that dachshunds are the most scientific dogs? They're certainly the most fun, mischievous, and um, challenging to train. Sounds like it's a good thing I'm a cat person. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Gut Guts, a podcast of the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal, and Liver Physiology. Joining us today are Editor-in-Chief, Professor Mark Fry, and authors Nandini Gurish, Dr. Cambrian Liu, and Dr. Brent Polk of the recently published manuscript titled Persistence of LGR5 Positive Colonic Epithelial Stem Cells in Mouse Models of Inflammatory Bowel Disease. So let's talk guts. Over to you, Professor Fry. Hi, good morning, everyone. So it's great to have Brent and Cambrian and Nandini here today. I've actually known the, the three of them for a long time and was really thrilled to have their manuscript come to AJPGI. So as you know, uh, the podcast is both about the science, but also about the investigators trying to get a handle into what it takes to be a GI and liver researcher in this modern world. So I thought we'd start off by talking a little bit about how the three of you got to where you are. Maybe we'll start with Brent. What got you into science, Brent, and what drew you to the guts? Hi, Mark. Great to see you. Uh, as we're all prone to do, something in our childhood maybe has a long-term influence. And so I grew up in a scientific household and became interested in science very early on, felt I was going to be probably a graduate student and uh, pursue research. And then as a high school student, uh, became more interested in medicine. I grew up in a very small town. There was one doctor and I saw how he helped uh, the community. As I was uh, pursuing college, I continued to remain interested in science, but felt I would probably go back to the small town I grew up in and become a family physician. So that's how I entered medical school. However, very early in my medical school career, in the first couple of months, I met the chief of adult GI, who really introduced me to uh, the burgeoning field of gastroenterology at a time when uh, physiology really was king in the gastrointestinal tract and uh, introducing me to the concept of how you might move molecular and cellular aspects to the study of uh, intestinal physiology. And so I was hooked from that point on. It was, was I going to do medicine, pediatrics, or surgery? And I'll tell the pediatric story later. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, how about you, Nandini? How did, how did you end up doing this for, for your career? It was, it was not typical. It came to me late. I was always interested in, in a biology. I understood better than any other subject when I was in school, but, you know, I ended up in Pasadena Community College in biotechnology course, and it just clicked me that this is what I wanted to do. And just pursuing that and doing project after project and going to different lab, I ended up in a, in a great team. I learned a lot, so, and that's just it. Sure. And Cambrian, what's your story? Hi, Mark. Uh, well, 
probably I, I would say actually when I was a kid, I wanted to to be a writer. I wanted to write stories and fiction and, and poems. But around middle school, I became really interested in infectious disease. And that was when, I think in 1994, I was in middle school, they had this big Ebola outbreak in, in, in the Congo. And there came all these movies about pandemics and outbreak. And all that hits probably a little bit too close to home in this time right period. Right about now, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't watch these movies anymore. But, but that really piqued my interest in, in science and in biology. Both my parents are scientists. Uh, they're, they're actually both geographers. And my mom studies computer mapping, and my dad studies prehistoric hurricanes, uh, hence my name. But I became interested in, in epidemiology, and that fueled my interest in biology. And in high school, I became interested in the brain and neural networks and how to reconstruct how people think. And that's really what guided my research in college and in grad school. I was a neuroscientist through all of that time. I became interested in the intestine because many of my family members and friends have inflammatory bowel disease. And I watched in college a lot of their suffering up close and personal. And that was something that really guided me and motivated me to, to understand this disease and to find new treatments for it. Uh, so I was really fortunate that when I graduated with my PhD, that you guys, Mark and, and Brent, uh, were at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And I could do my postdoc there and Actually, Mark and Brent were the two people that really brought me into the field and, and, and gave me my first shot. And I'm super grateful. And this is the field where I'll be for the rest of my life, I think. Well, that's a great story. I, I don't think I can take much credit for that. I really think that was all Brent's doing, but happy to have been there to support in any way I could. So let's talk a little bit about your paper. This is a really fascinating study. And you guys did something that a lot of investigators shy away from, which is really being honest about the fact that these mouse models are all different and all only recapitulate a small portion of human disease. And so you took the approach of doing a bunch of them and comparing them, which is difficult to do. I wonder, I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about the challenges of setting that up, and then we'll talk about what you found. Uh, Nandini, do you want to, I, I think you took lead on setting up this multi-model system. Do you want to talk about how, how that went and the challenges involved in it? Yes, when we started it, it started with the one particular model or a couple of them in one line. It took a while. It actually took a long time to set up the concentration, the right strain, our strain, uh, to get the proper, you know, where we can see consistent results and injury. We started with uh, C57 black six, and we didn't see very consistent results uh, with TNBS or exosolone. Um, then after consulting with different paper, and also we had some uh, scientists visited our lab uh, with their guidance, and we ended up uh, SJLJ for TNBS and BALB-C for uh, exosolone uh, models and then we did the dose curve and you know it took time to set up all these once we did we went with th1 th2 base and also with spontaneous colitis where we did uh, antibody induced IL-10 knockout colitis model there um, so we ended up 
taking different models in different categories of in the field tested with LGR5. Once we got this, it went pretty well. Some of them is just, we are lucky enough to the mouse models, working with mouse models, it's, it's, it's not everything in control. It, depend, it depends on the, the behavior, the breeding scheme, the breeding, um, whether we got the right litter, like right genotype and everything. So that was one more challenge that we went through, but, but we ended up to get a pretty good numbers and good data at the end. Yeah, yeah, you really ended up with interesting data that can be compared across models, I think. Yes. Now, I may have put the cart before the horse here by asking about the methodology before talking about the real take-home message of the paper. So maybe, Cambrian, do you want to walk us through you know, the elevator pitch for what the paper is about, what you found, and why people should run to the AJP website right now and read the paper? I'll give it my best shot. It might be a long elevator ride. <laughs> a tall building. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the tallest building we can find and you can tell us about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll keep it as short as I can. Uh, the, I, th I think the main idea of the paper and the main idea of, of what's really been driving research forward in the IBD field is this is idea that you can treat IBD by focusing on healing the wounds of, that the disease causes. And one of the key targets of that is the epithelium in the colon and in the intestine as well. And when you think about how you would heal a colon, you think about stem cells. How does, a, how, how does this epithelium regenerate? It does so naturally, but what happens during injury? And there's been a lot of work done I would say probably in the last 10 years that shows that there's all these specialized subpopulations of stem cells. For example, some people think there's a reserve stem cell that gets activated that heals the intestine. Some people think that actually, no, there's no reserve stem cell. There's actually this process called dedifferentiation where you have cells that were already committed to becoming a different type of cell, but they can revert towards being a stem cell. And then you have this other idea where, for example, your intestine adopts this fetal-like state but these are all sort of ideas and they all have merit. And there's a huge debate going on about which one is right. Mm -hmm. But these were all sort of tested in models of either acute injury or radiation injury or, or biopsy injury. Actually very little is known about what happens in an inflammatory bowel disease model. And this was really an opportunity for us. And, and Nandini was super, super talented with with all these different mouse models. And it was really her work that, that put this together. But what we found using a combination of, of in-situ hybridization, expression experiments, ex experiments in organoids, and uh, in, in, in vivo experiments as well, is that actually there's not really a single sort of description for how you can characterize the injury responses in IBD to these, to these models. There's this classic description of responses to injury where you lose your stem cells that are responsible for maintaining homeostasis in the intestine. But what we found is actually, for example, LGR5 positive stem cells, which are the stem cells responsible for maintaining homeostasis, mm -hmm. are actually also essential for, for mediating uh, responses to inflammatory bowel disease type injury. And this is quite different, actually, from these other injury models that have been tested that have reviewed a lot of these other types of 
process is taking place. And it really points out to the diversity of these models that we have and, and how we need to think carefully, I think, about what these models are replicating, how close are they, are they to a disease that we see in humans in terms of defining what the actual targets are in terms of what types of stem cells are, are being driven. So I think we're probably at the 50th floor by now, uh, but, <laughs> but I hope that it gets it across clear enough. No, that's great. And it's simultaneously frustrating and really fascinating that there's such a diversity of responses, I think, in the stem cell niche and that you can't put just one simple model on it. You know, everybody's model is a little bit right and everybody's model is a little bit wrong. Brent, what do you think? Do you have, do you have thoughts on the sort of the 20,000 foot overview of this and where where the field should build on this work going forward? It was great fun working with Nandini and Cambrian on trying to answer this question about the heterogeneity of the models. When we, we started, the hypothesis was similar to DSS that LGR5 uh, positive stem cells would be ablated. And as you saw in the paper, that was not the case that uh, there was persistence of LGR5 positive cells that were important in the repair in inflammatory bowel disease. At a high level, this really speaks to some of the heterogeneity that we see in humans with IBD. We've added a great number of therapies since I began my journey as a pediatric gastroenterologist focused on IBD, and yet we haven't cured the disease, nor have we really figured out which treatment works best for which set of patients. Even for patients with monogenic inflammatory bowel disease, similar to loss of IL-10 signaling through the receptor or uh, loss of cytokine expression or other downstream targets, those patients can present at different ages with different severity of disease and uh, with seemingly different pathobiologies. And so we're trying to contribute to that question of how do we identify and define a mouse model that might match with a subset of patients um, as the best way forward uh, for both prognostic and therapeutic approaches. It sounds like you're inching towards, if I can use this overhyped term, personalized medicine based on mouse models. That would be the uh, ultimate goal and trying to pair those with human origin samples, either in vitro and organoid culture models or in tissue samples, um, I think is the next step in complementing the work. So that's a great, I think, summary of the paper and the findings and a good discussion of where the field might build on your findings going forward. Let's return a little bit to talk about your process of science and use investigators. What's life like in the, the Polk lab? You know, how do you approach things to make science fun and interesting? It seems like every lab has its own recipe for this, and I always like to hear about how people approach making the lab a place everyone wants to go every morning. Yes, there was the pre-COVID joy of coming in and working together and touching base in the mornings to see what people were working on, the snacks or donuts or uh, occasionally fruit that people brought in to share from local trees. However, a lot of that has shifted and we've all learned to 
communicate better virtually uh, with, with Cambrian's move to the University of Chicago and our relocation to UCSD, we've managed to keep the joint lab uh, discussions um, on a, at least a monthly basis for lab updates and uh, for a review of exciting new literature. Um, it's been interesting trying to relocate during uh, a pandemic, mm, mm -hmm. uh, getting your mice to continue to breed, getting them to be happy in their new location and uh, getting equipment and everyone in to uh, approve things so that you can restart has taken much longer than I ever anticipated. And so we, we continue to... Uh, crack jokes and identify uh, fun things that uh, we share as a way of uh, maintaining a community even at a distance that's great and that, and that's actually something i remember from when you all were our neighbors uh in los angeles is that your lab was very much about community and about really getting along well as a team it's a it's it's a good model that more people should follow i think so let's then talk a little bit about things outside of science. Cambrian, what do you do when you're not thinking about stem cells? Well, I have two little girls. The older one is six and the younger one is three. So most of my time is spent <laughs> taking care of them at home uh, and other associated things. Uh, I do a lot of cooking. I, I love to cook. Everyone, everyone says cooking is like lab work. And to me, it's actually entirely different. It's my chance to... To, to do something that's actually kind of imprecise and just to enjoy mm. it uh, and to savor its savor the fruits of labor right away as opposed to lab experiments which take which you have to measure meticulously and and you don't get to really see the fruits of your labor until sometimes weeks down the line and usually they don't work so <laughs> you never get to see the fruits of your labor <laughs> my, my hit rate for cooking is a lot higher than it is for uh, for, for, for doing lab experiments, that's for sure. There, there's there's other things, you know, I play basketball. I've really, since I've gotten into, uh, or moved to Chicago, I've, I've really gotten into biking. I've been, been fortunate to be able to bike to work at uh, U of Chicago along the Lakefront Trail, mm -hmm. which is really beautiful, about a 15 mile bike ride each way. And yeah, so also sort of mundane things. Like I spent some time this weekend trying to think if I should buy a minivan and what that would mean for uh -oh. me and my image. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> You'll love it. Buy a van. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I was looking at videos of, like, the Chrysler Pacifica and be like, oh, that would be perfect. But uh, but I, I don't know what that says about me. Probably nothing all that great, but it's also super exciting. <laughs> accept it. I accepted it late in life. We love awesome. our van. Yes. Awesome. Yes, we can be team minivan. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I always find it's useful to know someone who has a minivan <laughs> more so necessarily than owning one. And, and they have a built-in vacuum cleaner in some of them. That's amazing. Anyways, yeah. I won't go too much into this, but yeah. And you can hook up Netflix and Roku. It's perfect. Yeah. Get a <laughs> oh boy. This is going off the rails really fast Sorry. here. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you ask this question to someone who's a little more interesting than I am. I don't know. I mean, that was a pretty interesting. I, I today I learned that minivans come with built-in vacuum cleaners. I did not know that, so that's cool. Nandini, what are you doing when you're not surrounded by boxes in the lab there, which our listeners can't appreciate, but I can see on your camera that there's a pile of 
Moving boxes still waiting. I saved those boxes for Cambrian when I shipped stuff to him. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. So far, that's what I've been doing. Um, For me, I had kids pretty engaged. So for me, now, now they're both in college and stuff. So the whole world is like opening up for me. Wherever I see, I see stuff that I can do. I can explore hiking, biking, or anything that I want to do. It's just there. So, so, and I'm in the perfect place right now in La Jolla is a beautiful place to to do all those uh, outdoor stuff so it's everything that I'm interested in I can do yeah fun and what about you Brent other other than other than the dachshunds we all know about the dachshunds Uh, I walked a couple of them this morning for about three miles and uh, you know it's pretty impressive that their little legs they can cover that distance and that fast because they want to get home uh, when it's dark. Uh, so the Cambrian and I share uh, enjoying and Nandini enjoying cooking and food. And in fact, you may remember we had uh, just a little competition between our labs and the rest of the building at CHLA. And I'm proud to say uh, my lab won all three of the specialty awards, <laughs> if I remember correctly. It was Battle Chana Doll. That was, yeah. that was fun. That's right. Yeah. That's right. A single ingredient that had to encapsulate. Uh, but, but, but I think Mike uh, Schumacher got first runner-up in one of the categories. So uh, he, it was uh, a pretty fun event. And similarly, the move to San Diego has been terrific. UCSD is a great campus, and you have to watch out because Nandini is now one of the bikers on campus. So you have to pay attention when she's uh, biking up uh, and coming across the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bike culture down there at UCSD, isn't there? Much, much as there is in Chicago. Yes, we, we live just a little north of uh, La Jolla, and uh, every weekend there are huge uh, pelotons of bicyclists that come through the neighborhood. So the dogs and I have to step off the road to let them uh, pass. <laughs> and, and, and do the dogs want to chase every bicycle? <laughs> they do. They definitely want to uh, chase them, bark them, bark at them. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, so uh, this has been a lot of fun. I, I have w- just then one more question. What uh, what didn't we ask you that you'd like to tell us about? We're looking for a new postdoc now that uh, Cambrian has taken his first faculty position. Uh, we're moving into that phase of collaborating and Cambrian's still helping mentor really all of the folks in the lab. We've continued to make really exciting advances, both in the stem cell uh, side of the story and the TNF uh, receptor uh, side of injury repair mechanisms in the intestine. As the field is permitted, uh, single cell analysis and uh, more expansive in vitro opportunities, it's really become uh, as has been my entire career, the greatest time to be able to do science. and a fun time to work with postdocs and lab managers and junior faculty. All right. So if anybody wants to have a great postdoc in sunny La Jolla, you know who to contact. Nandini, tell me something unexpected. Uh, Gosh, I cannot 
think of anything. I all I can think. I don't want any unexpected news anymore. I just want normal. <laughs> I think that's very fair. <laughs> no more unexpected news. I like that. And Cambrian. I'd want to add that uh, that I really, really enjoyed my time working with Brent. You know, it's it's one of these things where every time I go to the next stage of my life or next stage of my career, I always think back to the previous stage. And I'm like, why did I worry so much? Right. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, when I started as a postdoc, I was like, why did I worried about, why was I so worried about being a graduate student? Like the papers were going to come out. We were making great progress. I didn't need to stress out about graduating so soon and what, or whatever. And then I think now that, you know, I have some of the duties, as you know, of being a PI, writing IRBs and things like that. I think about a lot of the protected time I had as a postdoc, and it was like, that was really kind of a special time where, where you could do a lot of fun science. And, and then the best part about being in Brent's lab was actually the people that I worked with. Nandini was there since I started as a postdoc. I started in 2012. Nandini was there starting in 2011. And, and I've met so many great people along the way. So that was really the best part. Uh, we had a really, really nice team of really, really great chemistry. And that's something that I'm trying to replicate in my lab at, at Chicago, but it's really, really sometimes a hard thing to find. And so, and so that was really special. Sage advice. All right. Well, thank you all for talking to us. Jamie, do you have anything you want to say? Yeah. Cambrian and Nandini, cats or dogs? You go, Cambrian. <laughs> Cats, I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> for me, Brent's got enough dogs for forever. We know we know Brent's answer. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it's uh, it's both now. Now my daughter have a cat. I get to know cat now, so I don't have any complaints. Cats are dogs, so I'm pretty happy with both. <laughs> Well, everyone, make sure you go out and read this terrific paper that these three folks have uh, spearheaded and tune in next time for our next episode. Thank you, Mark and Jamie. It was a privilege uh, to talk with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal, and Liver Physiology, and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the AJP GI and Liver Physiology's homepage. Thank you for listening.